Now last week, uh, for those that weren't here or brand new, last week we talked about the Ten Nation Alliance, right? The Ten Nation Alliance. And the way that we cover the Ten Nations is we circled more than ten. Did you see that? <laughs> Said it could have been those ten or a couple five here, these here. And, you know, yes, I think that it becomes a little bit more clear on certain countries. Uh, but at, I also want to say it's not dogmatic. I, I cannot tell you 100% this is it. Is that a fair statement, Ray? Yep. And I, I think you want to be careful, you guys, of putting yourself under positions, under teachers that say, like, this is it. And Scripture is not 100% clear about that. Now, there are going to be times I'll have an opinion, but please don't ever take it as 100% dogmatic. I, I just I don't know that. And that's the reason of us growing in this. And there's a spirit of humility in that where you have to just say, sometimes I just don't know. Uh, and so if you would jump in with me in Daniel 9, verse 1, and we're going to begin to unfold a prophetic picture. It says, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, a Mede, right? Medo and Mede Persians. Uh, remember who overtook Kevin? Who overtook Babylon? Uh, the Persians. The Persians. So just using language, don't need to miss things, right? You've got, you got uh, Babylon, Medos, and Persia, and then Ray, it goes to? Um, then it goes to uh, Greece. Greece. That. So I just want to keep showing this picture, okay? This is what we're talking about. In his first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, Ahasuerus, a Mede by birth, who was ruler over the kingdom of the Chaldeans. Kevin, who are the Chaldeans? Chaldeans are the Babylonians. The, the Babylonians. So similar language, okay? Now, when you go into verse 2, very simply, what you're going to see is his words from Scripture. It's so awesome. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, so Daniel is still writing, understood from the books according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet. Okay, what is he saying? By me reading Scripture, by me reading prophecy, by me reading Jeremiah, I want to, I want to tell you something about what I, what I see here. It's crazy. So he says that the number of years for the desolation of Jerusalem would be 70. So I'm going to make it super simple. Daniel says, hey, by the way, I was reading scripture and I see that, that Jerusalem, the desolation of Jerusalem would be for what? 70 years. What's he talking about, Ray? He's talking about the destruction of uh, Jerusalem and the captivity of uh, Israel for 70 years. For 70 years. Jeremiah 29, 10 through 14. For this is what the Lord says, when 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. Now, this is the famous verse. This is the graduation verse, right? You're getting ready to go to college. Here it is, for I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your welfare, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. He's talking about Israel. Not going into Baylor for your freshman year. Now, can you apply this? Yes. But do we do that and then never understand the context? Absolutely we do. And that's been the demise of the American church. We take scriptures and it feels good and it feels right. And we don't even understand where it's coming from. He's talking about 70 years, but I'm going to give you hope in all of this. You'll call to me and come and pray to me and I'll listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And then finally in verse 14, I will be found by you. So when you pray, when you seek, now this is important to understand. This is a prophetic word from Jeremiah that Daniel is going to tap into. And he says, I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all of the nations. 
How many times have we talked about that already? Aliyah, I'm going to bring you from all of the nations back into the motherland. I'm going to bring you back to Israel. I'm going to bring you from everywhere. And it's the places where I banished you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore you to the place I deported you from. Why? Why did he kick him out for 70 years? There's a list. I'm going to get into Daniel 2 of why. Daniel actually cries out of why, but Daniel, uh, Jeremiah prophesies this. So in verse 2 again, Daniel, he understood from the books according to the word of the Lord just by reading this. That's all he's saying. By reading this, God enlightened him to say, hey, by the way, you're going to be in, in, in captivity for 70, 70 years. So I turned my attention to the Lord God. I'm in verse 3 of Daniel 9. To the Lord God to seek him by prayer and petitions with fasting sackcloth and ashes. Can I just please, please, if you're seeking the Lord, Prayer is essential. Prayer is important. But fasting is right there with it. And so in verse 4, Daniel 4, he says, I prayed to the Lord my God and I confessed. Ah, God, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands. Right? why is this part important about Daniel talking about covenant? Well, it's, it's, it's his covenant people. And, you know, they are under the Mosaic covenant, which is conditional. And they have broken, you know, they're part of the covenant. And so uh, whenever, whenever that happens, there's a, there not only pollutes the people, it pollutes the land. Yeah. And there's part of uh, confession and repentance that cleanses the land, it cleanses the hearts, and it now it lets God's favor pour out again. And so here he is, and it says this. He recognizes in verse 5, God help us do this in the church today. We have sinned, done wrong acted wickedly, rebelled, and turned away from your commands and ordinances. He owns it. He owns it and says, this is who we've become. God, help us and God, forgive us. Like there's no candy coating. We have not listened, he says, to your servants, the prophets. So he's saying, what is he saying there? I am not reading the word. I don't even know what they're saying. And if we do know what they're saying, I don't want it. So he says, who spoke in your name to our kings, leaders, fathers. Do you notice he didn't just say on the front end, like just the people? He said, look, he spoke to everybody. The kings, the leaders, the fathers. And then he says, and all of the people of the land, we're not listening to you. This sure sounds like, I have no problem saying this, our country. I know this isn't for our country, but it sure is a reflection of like what has happened to us. Daniel 9 verse 7, Lord, Righteousness belongs to you, but this day, watch this. He says this two times, you guys. I think this is important. Back to back in seven and in eight. He says this, on this day, public shame belongs to us. Right? I'm just, before we go on, how? How have they seen public shame? They have worshiped uh, false gods, which we know are actually demonic spirits. Right. You know, they've, they've had idols in the high places. We don't realize a lot more the depth that. of the right. demonic that they had stepped into. And that's when God is trying to prevent another Noah flood by these disciplines and these ways that he would have them overtake very demonized people. You know, I, I'm going to do a rabbit trail off of this. Lord, uh, help me steward this. Kevin, can you go to Psalm 103? I, th I think it's 13. Scripture says this, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Israel had lost the fear of God. And a father, if you legitimately fear God, I don't care who you are and how you say it. Yeah, it's in reverence. Yeah, it's in awe. But you know what it also is? He could crush you. 
There's a legit fear that God can do something to his people. He can't. And until we have a fear of who he is, God has to actually step in and get their attention. So that attention, you know what that was? Because they didn't fear him. 70 years in captivity. It's a long time out. I'm going to put you there because you don't respect me. You're going to the demonic. You're choosing all of these other paths. And it's almost like if we don't have this fear of the Lord, we don't really care. And so I just, I feel like there's a public shame. And God says, if you're not going to show me respect, I'm going to shame you. That's a weird thing to say, isn't it? It is. And if you look at it, a lot of what it was about too, uh, apart from worshiping the demonic, it was violating the Sabbath, yeah. which is what the Sabbath was meant to express right. is a total dependence on God, a rest in Him, and not from our own abilities. Which is why the 70 years were so important. He wanted to reestablish the land that they did not honor, that He asked to show Sabbath to. So He needed to give rest to His actual holy land because the people had no regard for it. And it was going to take 70 years to restore that land. Daniel knows this. And he says, to this day, we're a public shame. The men of Judah, I'm back in verse seven, the residents of Jerusalem and all of Israel, those who near and those who are far. Remember this? Near? Far. The, the people that are in Israel, the people that are in Babylon, or the people that are in other countries, everybody's on display for shame. Why? Because we have abandoned what you've asked us to do. In all the countries where you've dispersed them because of the disloyalty they have shown toward you. Verse 8, Lord, public shame belongs to us. Twice he says this. Our kings, our leaders, our fathers, because we have sinned against you. Verse 9, he says, compassion and forgiveness belong to the Lord our God, though we have rebelled against him and have not, watched this, obeyed the voice of the Lord. We haven't obeyed what we've heard. The voice of the Lord our God by following his instructions that he set before us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has broken your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. The promised curse written in the law of Moses. So here it is. It, the scripture is pretty clear. If you're going to turn against me in a Mosaic covenant, Mosaic mentality, okay? If you're going to turn against me, I'm kicking you out of the land. This is the promise that we're talking about. This is the curse that came upon his own own people, the promised curse that you can find in Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 27 and 28. I will deport you from the land if you do not obey. And it's exactly what happened. 70 years, I'm throwing you in Babylon. Now, Daniel knows that if he, if, if he knows I got a couple years left, guess what he's gearing up for? Heart of repentance and guys, let's get ready to go. Our time is almost up. Somebody's got to lead the charge that we're moving. And so Daniel owns it. Daniel steps up because he knows the word. And hear this. He walks into the prophetic. I love that. Jesus walks into the prophetic. That's why he says things on the cross, because he's going to fulfill what was already prophesied. You and I can walk into the prophetic. You know that, right? It's pretty clear until the fullness of the Gentiles happens, he ain't coming back. So what are we sitting here for? We can walk in the prophetic and declare the gospel in all of the nations and then the end will come. come we can do the same thing Daniel does in a different way. Yeah. 
Walk out the prophetic. And so he begins to recognize something's coming. In verse 12, it says, He has carried out his words that he has spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us so great a disaster that nothing like what has been done in Jerusalem has ever been done under all of heaven. In other words, there's been, nuts, there's been nothing such a great as a disaster right now than what we've ever seen. It's a big deal. We've never seen it. In verse 13, just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us. Yet we have not appeased the Lord our God by turning from our iniquities and paying attention to our truth. 67 years, 68 years into captivity, and they still haven't figured it out. How long will it take for us to realize what we're doing is not working? God, awaken us to simple truth. Verse 14 says, The Lord kept the disaster in mind, and he brought it on us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all he has done. In other words, God, is in right, God can do this. He's justified in doing this. But we have not obeyed him. Now, now here's what I love. In verses 3 through 14, you have Daniel's heart praying. If you need to highlight stuff on the side of your Bible, this is Daniel's prayer. This is his heart. This is his pouring out. You know, I wonder what your prayers would look like at home if you began to pray for your country. Would you be as desperate as Daniel was? Or is it just kind of like, yeah, God, help us. We've got to get to a point where we're break. In verse 14, you begin to see, and I love what Tom Constable, he says there's a petition now for restoration. I've poured out my heart. I've repented in this process. And now, God, I need you to do something different. There's a restoration cry. And he says, now, Lord God, who brought your people. Don't you love this? I love this. Hey, God, do you remember what you did in Egypt? Do you remember how we were in captivity? Can you do it again? That's what he says. Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made your name renowned as it is this day. We have sinned. We have acted wickedly. God, I need you to reveal yourself again. So can I say something kind of funny? I think when people repent, in our country, we have no plan to then do anything else with it. Repent leads to change, to transformation, and obedience. In verse 16, Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, may your anger and wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem. He's talking specifically about Jerusalem, the city. Your holy mountain, for because of our sins and iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become an object of ridicule to all those around us. I'm curious if you ask people what they thought of the United States these days outside of this country, what they'd think. I have some very strong opinions on that. Therefore, our God, hear the prayer and petitions of your servant. Show your favor. Now watch this. To your desolate sanctuary for the Lord's sake. The Lord's sanctuary is what, Ray? Yeah, that's, that's the holy place. That's the holy place, the temple. Solomon's temple. God, I, I need you to what? Show your favor, pour out your blessing, pour out your abundance. on a, The word desolate is what, Kevin? When do you think of desolate? I mean, it's, it's as bad as it gets. It's as bad as it gets. God, I need you to do something to bring this thing back to life. Listen, my God, and hear. Open your eyes. <laughs> we got to start talking to the Lord like this prayer, man. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city called by your name, Jerusalem, right? For we are not presenting our petitions before you based on our righteous acts. So I'm coming to you not on any good standing because of me. 
I'm coming because of your abundant compassion. God, I need you to shift because of who you are, not because of me. Lord, hear. Lord, forgive. Lord, listen and act. My God, for your own sake, do not delay because your city and your people are called by your name. We represent you. So when they see us, they see you. And if we're a mess, they view you as a mess. Now that's what he's saying in verse 19. Now there begins a shift and the shift is God just says, all right, my turn. While I was, while I was speaking, praying, confessing the sin of my people, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my petition before Yahweh, my God, concerning the holy mountain of my God, while I was praying, an angel showed up. Cue your cell phone. <laughs> Sorry, I thought that was a good one, right? While I was praying, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the first vision. Okay, now interesting enough, just, just so you guys see how this fits. Uh, can you guys go to, uh, hold please. Can you go to Daniel 8, 15 and 16? Okay, Daniel 8, 15 and 16. Don't get caught up in the language of the word the man, okay? It's an image, it's a picture. Daniel 8, 15 and 16. While all Daniel was watching the vision and trying to understand it, there stood before me somebody who appeared to be a man. I heard a human voice calling from the middle of the Ulai. Gabriel explains the vision to this man. So same person. Gabriel the angel, Daniel 8, is now back. Wouldn't that be awesome, by the way? It's, they're real. Angels are real. They're not little feather guys that are around your neck. They could have all those things. But angels are ministering spirits so that you can do the work of God. Gabriel's showing up, saying, all right, let's go. So back in Daniel 9, Kevin, if you would, he just says this, Gabriel, I'm in verse 21, the man I had seen in the first vision came to me in my extreme weariness. That's what I'm talking about, this travailing prayers. I am exhausted because I've been crying out to the Lord for this. About the time of the evening offering. Now, this evening offering, just so you know, there's no temple, by the way. So they're not talking about these sacrifices that you would think of the temple in Jerusalem. These, these uh, offerings in this context is his prayer. And it says, Gabriel, he gave me this explanation. Daniel, I've come now to give you understanding. <laughs> At the beginning of your petitions, I love this verse. At the beginning of your petitions, an answer went out. And so he cries out, there's an answer. God says, I'm going to answer this one. Gabriel says, I'm going to deliver it to you. And he says, for you are treasured by God. He, he breathes life into him. So consider the message and understand the vision. So Gabriel is setting it up. I, Gabriel is not the answer. We don't pray to angels. We don't worship angels. They're messengers from the Lord. Amen. It's bad theology. Scripture then says, here is the understanding of the vision. In verse 24, hang on here, okay? I'm going to read through it, then we'll unpack it. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city, right? Just as we're on the same page, holy city is where? They're in captivity, but what holy city are we talking, talking about? talking about Jerusalem. He's talking about Jerusalem. So 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to bring the rebellion to an end, to put a stop to sin, to wipe away iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy. Don't you love that line? Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put an answer to Jeremiah's prophetic words. I'm going to seal it up. I'm going to make this come to fruition. And then to anoint the most 
holy place. Now, we're going to come back, go to verse 25 for a second. Know and understand this. Gabriel continues. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be rebuilt with a plaza and a moat, but in difficult times. After those 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the coming prince will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come with a flood, and until the end there will be war. Desolations are decreed. And finally, in verse 27, He will make a firm covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he will put a stop to sacrifice and offering, and the abomination of until the decreed destruction is poured out on the desolator. Whoa. All right. You guys got your notes ready? <laughs> Verse 24. This is the revelation of Israel's future. Now, when we say future, it's a both and. They're in captivity. If I'm Daniel and I hear that I have a future about a city being rebuilt and restored, what am I thinking of, Ray? Jerusalem. I'm thinking of Jerusalem, and I'm thinking I got a city that's destroyed and, and ruined right now, so I am physically picturing my city, I'm leaving captivity, and I'm going to come see it rebuilt. Yes, that is true. He is going to do that. But he also says, and then I have more after that. It's the already but not yet mentality. Please picture these verses, 24 through 27, as that. It's a picture of them walking, experiencing, but then it's a picture of literally the future. Now, when we get into this language of 70 weeks are decreed about your people, Ray, let's go there. Well, it's, it's 70 weeks of years. And when he uh, gets into the uh, portion about the Messiah to come, when he's talking about Jesus, he talks about 62 and 7. And just so everybody's clear, on verse 25, it says that there's seven weeks and 62 weeks. That just want to make sure they're seeing a reference. Yeah. So he leaves that 70th week off of the prophecy uh, that gets us up to the Messiah being cut off. And so that 70th week is what we're going to get into in terms of, that's what a lot of people call Daniel's 70th week, the tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble. There's a lot of uh, passages about it. So that's how we get the timing. So let's talk about this timing really quick if we can, because this is like, how do we know all this timing? Can you guys go to Leviticus 25, verse 8, if you would? Okay, Leviticus 25, verse 8. I think that will be very helpful. Leviticus 25, verse 8, it says this. You are to count seven sabbatical years, seven times seven years, so that the times that the time period of the seven sabbatic years amounts to what? 49. So we've got to look to Scripture about what did this 70 weeks mean. So when you look at this text, you're talking about seven Sabbaths of years. Okay? I'm getting some kind of looks here. Just trying to give you a couple pictures of where we go to Scripture. Can you go to Leviticus 26, 18, and 21? Leviticus 26, 18, and verse 21. Again, what we're trying to show you is, is where could we get these numbers from. But if after these things you will not obey me, Okay, after you have not chosen to follow me, Scripture says, I will proceed to discipline you, what? Seven times for your sins. So we even see this in the Mosaic language. Go to verse 21, if you would, please. Now watch this. If you act with hostility toward me and are unwilling to obey me, what does he say again? I will multiply your plagues 
seven times for your sins. So there is something about if you're not doing this, it's time seven. Okay, so this is the language of Moses, right? In the law and in the prophets. So this is kind of the picture that you see here. So when you see 70 weeks, you're talking about 70 sevens. Okay, a week is seven, seven days. 70 sevens. Okay, so this is kind of language. Hang in here with me, okay? So you got these 70 sevens. Now, in this language, right, uh, the scripture just says, let me see if I want to go, a 70-week exile would be expected to last for seven times 70 years. Everybody? No, are you taking notes or are you just staring at me odd? Okay, seven times 70. Okay, now having said that, what is the first numbers that we saw in verse 25? Seven weeks and 62 weeks, right? So what do you have? You have 69 weeks in verse 25. Then you have, well, we know this is just simple math. That's 483 years, right? Okay. And in this, just so we're all on the same page, you have seven weeks, 49 years. Okay. And then you have 62 weeks, right? And 434 years. Verse 25. Okay, it says, no one understand this, from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. So from the moment that it is decreed, when did the decree happen? Okay, we are going to propose that it happened in 444 BC. Okay, I'm going to explain this here, okay? 444 BC, uh, there's four decrees, there could be up to six decrees of who said this and when. Remember, it says this. Thank you for your patience on this. In verse 25, it says, from the issuing of the decree. When was this decree released? That's the question. From the issuing of this decree, you're going to see restoration and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, right? Until the Messiah will be seven weeks. So from the moment that this is built, Ray, it's going to go to how long? Till what happens? Yeah, it's 483 years until Messiah the Prince. Okay, so until Christ. Yep. So I, it's fair to put right here, right? Yep. So until the Messiah, Jesus, is here. Okay, so who issued the decree? Oh, this is important. Number one, uh, it could come from Ezra 1. Okay, it could come from Ezra 1, the decree of Cyrus. Okay, now this issue, though, was to rebuild the city. The, ci the city. Yep. Okay, in this process, there's a second decree. The second decree of Darius is in Ezra 6. What's that decree for? Uh, the temple. The temple. Isn't the first one the temple? Yes. There, so the first one is to... The temple. I thought you were asking me. Yeah, no. I, I, okay. Yeah, so the first decree was to rebuild the temple. The temple. Let's back up just for a second. Sorry, I caught you off guard. So the first decree from Cyrus in Ezra 1 is to rebuild the, the temple. temple. The second decree... Let's just run. I'm going to keep it simple. Yep. The decree of Darius in Ezra 6 is rebuild the, the temple. temple. But what is this decree for? It's rebuilding the city. The city. So you could probably eliminate those, those two decrees. Does that make sense? Understand the timing. So you got to keep going with timing. There's another one, a decree of Artaxerxes in Ezra 7. So I'm going to go to Ezra 7 on that one. And Ray, what are they again telling to propose? The temple. Build the temple. So the earlier decrees, we could say is that's to build the temple. But what is Daniel talking about? 
the city. So then there's another decree that comes from Artaxerxes, different one, different Artaxerxes, and it comes from Nehemiah 2, 1 through 8. Do you remember this? Nehemiah is so distraught, and he's so distraught that he comes before the king. And guess what does the king do? The king says what, Ray? Yeah, he tells him to go and rebuild the city. And Nehemiah 2, 1 says, During the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was set before him, I took the wine, I gave it to the king. I had never been sad in his presence because Nehemiah is so distraught over the city. So the king said to me, Why are you so sad? Why aren't you sick? This is nothing but depression. I was overwhelmed with fear. And I replied to the king, May the king live forever. Why should I not be sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? So the king said, hey, what's your request? So I prayed to the God of heaven and answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has been found with favor, send me to Judah and to the city where my ancestors are buried so that I may rebuild it. So this is the decree that we're talking about. So the king says, with the king seated, how long will your journey take and when will you return? So I gave him a definite time and it pleased the king to me, to send me. And so there you have it, the king. And he said to the king, hey, can I have some letters? Let me have letters written to the governor so that I could pass through that they'll greet me safe passage until I reach Judah. Verse eight finally then says, and let me have a letter written to Asaph so that you'll provide everything that I need so I can build a dome. This is the decree. King Artaxerxes said, go. I have to release this over our team. We had a phone call today with a good friend from Israel. And at the end of our call today, today, this actually happened today. He said, you are the Nehemiahs of today. because we are looking to rebuild the city. Don't miss that team. Don't miss that prophetic word that was released over you for today. So this decree was released, which then was released because of King Artaxerxes in 444 BC. Ray, you wanna explain that process? Well, I, I think it will help simplify if you realize the other decrees were to rebuild the temple and that was addressing uh, Jeremiah's prophecy yep. when they were released to Thank go you. build the temple. But there was a time when they were supposed to be rebuilding the temple and they were lingering behind. Jerusalem hadn't been restored and Nehemiah goes into travailing prayer mm. and when he gets released, that's when the clock starts ticking. And you, it's, it's imperative to separate Jeremiah's prophecy so just from if, Daniel's prophecy. So Nehemiah, we're talking about, yeah. was released yep. there. And so that's when the, the uh, word from Daniel, that's when you start counting the 483 years is the decree that Daniel's talking about is about the city. The, the city. other decrees were about rebuilding the, the, the temple. temple. And they had lingered in it and hadn't done it. So that's why the prophetic clock that Daniel's talking about doesn't start until the Nehemiah decree from Artaxerxes. I don't know if this is scrambling Yeah, that's good. Or not. No, that's good. You're good. That's good. And okay. so that, you start the count then. Go ahead. Explain yeah, that to if this. You, if you do the math, uh, you end up to the day when Jesus' triumphal entry, I think it's March 30th, mm -hmm. and he... And, it's to the day of that decree. So from the day of this decree, there's a gentleman that I used to study under, Dallas Seminary. I would say he's probably one of the most, he's passed away now. His name is Harold Honer. 
probably one of the most prominent uh, historical theologians of studying dates and times. It's absolutely phenomenal. He actually was the one who put all of this, most of this together in his discussion. And, and he's the one that really mapped this out. So let's keep going here. So 444 BC to 8033, 69 weeks, 483 years, 483 years, okay? Now, this is what we would call the period of church age, right? Okay, that's what we're in. After Christ passed away, came back to life, seated at the right hand of the Father, we are now in this, what we would call the church age uh, period, okay? Dispensation. We are in that church age period. Now, watch this though. It says, okay, this is important. After those 62 weeks, okay? So we've already had the seven weeks. After the 62 weeks, after those weeks, the Messiah will be cut off, right? Which implies, and most theologians on any depth of a study will tell you it's implying the death of Christ. Okay, when the Messiah, now think about this though, this is Daniel, the way he described the Messiah being sacrificed, right, crucified on the cross, the way he described it was, is that the Messiah will be cut off and will have nothing. You got to put people in their context. It's not like we've seen these things before, right? You've heard about them, you've maybe read about them maybe in that past, but so his language is the Messiah was cut off and will have nothing. The people of the coming prince will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now, Kevin, let's talk about that. That's a different person. So the Messiah is cut off. The coming prince is the prince of this land. That's right. Which is Satan. Yeah. And then it's the Antichrist. Antichrist. It's the yeah, Antichrist. But, okay, yeah. so here you have now Christ is seated at the throne, but while we're here, the Antichrist who represents the prince of this world. Okay, so here you have the Antichrist, okay, in this mentality that has free reign. He says the Antichrist will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Who is he talking about, Ray? Yeah, it's, it's, he's, he's talking about Jerusalem and the temple again. Okay, so the Antichrist, his whole goal is going to destroy the Jerusalem and the temple. He's going to destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come with the flood. Now, we know, Scripture says, with the, with the rainbow in the sky, God's not going to destroy all the earth with the flood. So what do we do with this text? I love this. Ray, you want to describe that one? Yeah, it's, it's the flood of people. In, in context, if you look at it, it says, will come with a flood, and until the end there will be war. Desolations are decreed. It's a flood. It's talking about this flood of people are going to come in like a flood uh, in this war and bring desolation. In this context, though, that word flood is different than the flood in Genesis. So this isn't us making that up. It's a different word in that language. So it could be the flood of people. Can I even just say, because there's going to be destruction coming, just even a representation of, I'm going to say graphically, a flood of blood. Like destruction and death is going to be here. And it says, and then the end there will be war. Desolations are decreed. Now, okay, now watch this. As all of this takes place in verse 27, he'll make a firm covenant. Who's he? Okay, the Antichrist. That represents the fourth empire. So remember, we got the fourth empire, ten horns, right? The little horn that's going to come from him, the Antichrist. He's going to, at some point, three will submit down to him. Eventually, he's going to rule over the ten, right? In all of this, I just want to make you have a picture here. He will make, this Antichrist, will make a firm covenant. I'm going to have you describe this in a second. With many for one week. Now, up to one week. What does one week represent? How many years? Seven. So somewhere in the church age, you're going to see the Antichrist come in. And what is he going to do? He's going to make a firm covenant. 
And the scripture says, with many. Ray, let's talk about that, can you? So this, this covenant with the many, you know, it's, it's, we can assume it's with at least this 10-nation federation. At, at least. At least. It could be even bigger than that. But we know it's, it's probably at least with that. And if you look, I think we overemphasize peace. We know we talk about it as a peace treaty. But if you think about historically what Hitler would do right before he took over a country, he would set up a peace treaty. So it really wasn't peace going on because Hitler's conquering other countries while he's setting up peace treaties. So it's the illusion of peace. Uh, if you look at other passages, they're under the illusion of peace. It's probably because they are so weary of the persecution and the whole world being against them. Man, they're grasping at straws. And he offers them this illusion of peace. Okay, so here's what you have. You've got 69 weeks. Okay, this prophetic picture from Nehemiah, the decree has been declared, right? All the way until the Messiah. So we're in this church age. The Antichrist comes into play. At some point, he's going to go pursue the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. He will establish a firm covenant. That's when we all start looking for, hey, who are these, these nations? Who are the ones that he's going to have a covenant with? Okay, we don't officially know that that's what he's going to do. I mean, we can't put all of that together. It makes sense. But I want you to relax on all of the who's. It's what are we looking for? He has a firm covenant with many. I just wanted to say, too, it's confusing sometimes for people because this 70th week doesn't happen right away. And if you look at Paul, yeah. he talks about the mystery of the gospel that Gentiles were going to be part of the inheritance to the Jew. Well, the Jew didn't really know that. That's why the whole church age is left out of this prophecy of Daniel because he's talking about right. to the Jew the end time. So he is not aware of the mystery of the Gentile. There's a pocket in part. between. He's not addressing. He's not because it was a mystery that the, that the church age, the Gentile, was going to be invited into the kingdom that was coming. That's good. And in the prophecies, you guys, there's a lot of stuff in between that you just, we don't know. That's totally prophecy. That's how sometimes that works. And so, okay, now we enter into this picture. We got to wrap up here. So it's in the middle of the week. So I want you to understand something. The little horn that comes from the 10 nations, right? The fourth empire, okay? He's going to make a firm covenant with many. It could be the 10 nations. Somehow there's going to be a, 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 what appears to be peace. Something is going to be established around Israel. We can watch that. Now, in the middle of the seven, week, uh, the seven years, it says this. He will put a stop to the sacrifice and offering. So another characteristic of the Antichrist is he's going to put a stop to the sacrifice and offering. Now, what can that mean? It means that at one point, there will be a temple again. And I'm going to write it here so people see it, a physical temple. At some point, there will be a physical temple. This is where maybe the little horn comes in, grabs a firm covenant, and maybe can establish the rebuilding of the temple. We don't know. Right now, there's Alex Gamas, the Dome of the Rock, on the Temple Mount. Something has to change on a peace mentality in order for that thing to even be built. Now, we'll tell you, the Jews, they're ready. They are ready to build this thing. They've got the supplies. They've got the money. They just need somebody to say yes, which is why the Antichrist, the little horn, will be appealing. 
It's the only way this thing is going to be able to put into place. Somebody's got to put this into motion. Why? So that halfway through the seven years, halfway through, you're going to see what's called, uh, well, one, he's going to stop them, right? He's going to stop the sacrifices, stop the offerings that the Israelites know, and the abomination of until the decreed destruction takes place. Well, really what this means is, and there's a lot of text about this, I'm trying to cram this in here on this time, is he's going to stand in the middle of the temple and he's going to say, he's going to blaspheme God, I'm God. The only way that can happen is he's got to stand in the temple and declare this. He is the son of destruction. It comes, if you need a reference, by the way, 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 4. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 4, 1 John 2.18 talks about the Antichrist coming. That language is not much in the New Testament, by the way. 1 John 2.18, uh, and in this context, uh, also Daniel 12, verse 11. Can we go there real quick? Daniel 12, verse 11. Daniel 12, verse 11. From the time the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. You want to unpack that just briefly? Well, it's, um, it's really talking about the middle of the tribulation is really what it's pointing to. Okay. So the abomination of desolation is the Antichrist speaking up saying, hey, by the way, I'm God. <laughs> and in Revelation 13, uh, we're not going to get there today. But there's a lot of qualities and characteristics. We still are not getting to the characteristics of the Antichrist. I tried last week, by the way. But there's a lot of characteristics of the things that he does. And I want to just say this. This whole period right here is called the tribulation. When you see a firm covenant come into play, physical temple somehow, some way is built, he's going to stand right in the middle of it, in the middle of the seven years and say, I'm it, I am he. Now, just so we all know, we also call the last three and a half years, and the language is there, the Great Tribulation. We, we made it. We made it through Daniel 9. Uh, I know, please hear me say this, that there's, there's a lot more, but I do want to just say this, Kevin, if you go to, let's close out the, the scripture here uh, in verse 28 of Daniel. Uh, I'm sorry. That's it. I think I did. I read 27. I think I did. Yeah, that's what it was. Sorry. And the abomination of desolation will be on the wing of the temple until the decreed destruction is poured out on the desolator. So can I just, can I just tell you one great thing? You know what happens at the end of the tribulation? <laughs> A Jesus, he comes back. So whether you believe that you'll be gone before this starts, whether you believe you're here in the mid or whether you believe you're here at the end. I'll just tell you one thing. I think it's really healthy for all of us to know the big picture. And as a result, we know that ultimately Jesus is coming back. So this is Daniel 9. This is a, a big timeline. So where are we at right now, guys? We're right here. You can come on up, Bethany, if you don't mind. This is where we're at. And what are we looking for? These things right here to kick this thing off. Okay? Lord, we just say thank you for this time. Uh, I just feel like I need to say thank you for giving us a spirit of patience today on this text. That's a lot of 
substance. And I pray, Lord, that we would process what you want us to hear. And then just, Lord, may we not recall the things you don't want us to. But Jesus, I do believe we're in a season that when the fullness of the Gentiles takes place, I do believe there's going to be an Antichrist. And I do believe he's going to be here on earth. And I do believe we got to get ready. And so God, just show us from this text. What do you want us to do with it today? In Jesus' name, amen.